2014, uh, Time magazine ran quite a controversial uh, cover story uh, about the actress uh, Laverne Cox from Orange is the New Black, if that's a show you watch. Um, And it had the headline on it, uh, The Transgender Tipping Point suggesting that we've reached a crucial cultural moment where we've got to rethink this whole issue of of transgender. Uh, And that's what it feels like, I think, at the moment. If you you can barely uh, turn on your TV, uh, switch on your radio, um, log on to any news uh, website for very long without coming across someone who is transgender uh, and hearing a little bit uh, of their story. In fact, the Time magazine uh, subtitle uh, reads, uh, The Next Civil Rights Frontier. The Next Civil Rights Frontier. So we've been thinking, you know, the war in many ways, cultural war in many ways between liberals and conservatives has been won in terms of uh, the rights for homosexual marriage and so on. Uh, but this is, the next, this is the next step. This is the next area in which uh, individual rights are going to have to be reconsidered in light of what we now consider as a culture uh, acceptable sexually. Um, that was back in 2014 then. The next year, in 2015, uh, Vanity Fair, which is the famous sort of fashion magazine in the States, ran as its cover story uh, the, the top story of um, Bruce Jenner and his transition uh, to becoming Caitlin. So the headline, Call Me Caitlin. Uh, Bruce Jenner was uh, a former uh, Olympic gold medalist decathlete, father of six children. Uh, and it tells the story, he recounts uh, the story of his uh, challenges, the difficulties for him transitioning uh, between be, to become Caitlyn. Uh, and now Caitlyn Jenner, uh, for those of you who are familiar with the Kardashians and all of that, uh, is a massive, a massive reality TV show star in the States. And, if, uh, and in fact, it's random that I know this, but uh, in fact was uh, a host on Loose Women this week uh, on ITV. So this is someone who is a massive star uh, in the world and has certainly put the issue uh, of transgender on the cultural radar. Uh, But really the issue hit massive headlines in the States later on in 2016 when a massive retailer in the United States, Target, uh, introduced a policy for, for its staff and for any customers that those who were transgender were free to choose whatever bathroom they wanted, whatever bathroom they identified with uh, in their stores. And that, as you can imagine, caused a massive stir. Uh, There was lots and lots of particularly mums who were saying, we don't want to be taking our daughters to bathrooms where there are men using them, whether they think they're men or not. Uh, We are very against that, and so there was a lot of public outcry. Then there was, uh, that was followed up by the the Family um, um, American Association, American Family Association, sorry, uh, who then recommended that a full boycott uh, be taken out against Target. Well, that then was responded to by the state of North Carolina implementing some legislation which effectively made Target's policy of anyone using any bathroom they wanted illegal, 
which then resulted in lots of uh, rock stars such as Bruce Springsteen and others saying, well, we're not going to perform any of our concerts in North Carolina if they're going to be, take that sort of transphobic stance. And so it all became a massive mess and the headlines rolled for months and months and months. Uh, but at the end of the day, this then became a, 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 an issue. The issue of transgender became something that everybody was talking about. But you may think, you may think, well, that's Americans for you. Uh, it's all a bit liberal over there, isn't it? Uh, but actually, this is an issue facing us right here uh, at home. So back in 2016, um, our own school here in Belfast, uh, Victoria College, received some official guidance from the Girls' School Association that they were strongly advised not to refer to their pupils as girls or young ladies or young women. In fact, all staff had to use gender-neutral language of pupils and students in order to create a gender-neutral environment. It's right here in Northern Ireland. Also, uh, the NHS has recently set up what it's called uh, the, the Gender Identity Service Clinic. And last year alone, over 2,000 referrals of children from 3 right through to 18 were referred to that clinic, suffering from this sense of disconnect uh, between their experience of gender and the biological reality, the body in which uh, they lived. Uh, They were referred to that uh, center for treatment. This is a big issue in our community. This is uh, a big issue. I have no doubt that, that in a group this size, in this room, some of you have family or friends or colleagues for whom this is a very sensitive uh, reality. And I guess I want to just say, as we begin, behind all the headlines, behind all the statistics, are real people, real people who are really struggling, who are really struggling with this. Um, We want to approach this issue with real compassion and sensitivity. And so my job this morning is not to give you bullets for your gun to shoot at other people. That is not what I intend to do. Uh, In fact, I came across this uh, statistic this week. Uh, For those suffering from uh, what's called gender dysphoria, which I'll define in a moment, uh, those who would identify as transgender, over 41% of people who are transgender at some point in their lives will attempt suicide, as opposed to only 4% of the general public. And so this, this often results is the result of bullying or lack of support um, or underlying psychological problems. And so we want to be very gentle, very sensitive as we approach uh, this subject. But we want to also approach it with grace, but also with truth, with truth. And so before we dive into uh, to all of this, um, we need to define some terms, some terms that I've got to use some terms that are being used in the culture. And so I've put some definitions up on the screen for you. First, in 
as we said in just a moment, a moment ago, for a Christian, we have, Christians have traditionally uh, seen that the body is an essential part and how we use our body is an essential part of our worship an essential part of our spiritual discipleship. So Christians have traditionally always collapsed or aligned together notions of gender and biological sex. They would be seen as the same thing. But in our culture and in the discussion that's going on around us, these things have been separated out. And so I want you to see that gender or gender identity is actually a technical phrase and it actually refers to the internal sense of being a man or a woman or a blended gender. Secondly, biological sex then is the physical, biological, and anatomical dimensions of being male or female. These facets include chromosomes, hormones, internal and external sexual organs, and secondary sex characteristics. In summary, gender is what is between your ears. Sex, if I can be crude, is what's between your legs. Okay? Do you see how they're different? Next, gender expression. Gender expression. Uh, How someone chooses to represent themselves externally by their choice of name, pronouns, clothing, haircut, behavior, voice, or body characteristics. But all of that is different. All of that is different to sexual orientation, which is really to do with your heart. Sexual orientation describes who you're attracted to. It describes an individual's physical, romantic, an emotional attraction uh, to another person, gender identity and sexual orientation are not the same. Transgender people may be straight, lesbian, gay, or bisexual. Okay, do you see? This is complicated, and we need to be really careful in the language uh, that we use. But when we begin to talk about transgender, we also need to talk about, which was something I hadn't really thought about before, I didn't know the terminology before, and that is this whole area of, uh, actually we'll come back to that in a second, can we go on to the next slide, is this whole issue of intersex, intersex. Intersex refers to an extremely rare medical conditions or conditions uh, that can result in ambiguous uh, external genitals mismatch between internal and external reproductive organs uh, and incomplete development of reproductive organs or the forming of both sets of sex organs. So this is a physical condition where folks are born with ambiguous gender physically. But then there's also the psychological variation, which is our previous slide, which is referred to as gender dysphoria. Now, gender dysphoria refers to the experience of having a psychological and emotional gender identity that does not correspond to your biological sex. And so what we are recognizing here is there are both medical and psychological variations from what we would call the male-female binary. They're exclusive categories. Because of these conditions, uh, folks have approached this whole topic of transgender in a number of different ways. And what I want to do is I just want to lay out how these issues are approached and how we're supposed to think about them as followers of Jesus. Okay? So there's one, there's what you might call the liberal view. 
we're going to then consider what we might call the fundamentalist view. And then thirdly, I want to suggest there's a third way, Jesus' way, Jesus' view. So first then, let's consider what you might call the liberal view, gender, uh, to accept gender diversity, which often leads to deconstruction. Let me try and explain what I mean by that. So due to these, these conditions, physical variations of folks born with ambiguous sex, and due to these psychological conditions, there are many who have suggested... There are many who have suggested that we should just abandon the notion of a male-female binary. That we should consider them not as exclusive, separate things. For example, there is new policy, new guidelines coming out being proposed for uh, relationships and sex education teachers in the UK, uh, particularly in England. Uh, And here's what uh, sex ed teachers are being recommended by this proposed guidance. It hasn't been ratified yet. To recognize gender in all its complexity and to allow students to see concepts in more realistic terms and to help them to understand the idea of a spectrum, a range of possibilities, and not simply the opposite ends of a binary. Okay, a schools worker friend of mine uh, saw this in action. He was in to teach an RE class, and this, some of this theory was taught before he got the opportunity to speak. And he explained that uh, the teacher on a, on a whiteboard drew a line, uh, male at one end, female at the other, and then invited students as young as 11 and 12 to come up to the whiteboard and mark with a cross where they felt they landed on that line. So perhaps 100% male, 0% female, 30, 70, 50, 50, 70, 30, 100% female. It's a spectrum, spectrum. We shouldn't think of them as exclusive categories. Uh, that's what many people are teaching today, that, that gender is, there's great diversity and we should just celebrate that. Who's not for diversity? This all comes from the general assumption, I think, in our culture that actually who you are, the essential you, is internal, psychological, and emotional. That's the real you, and the body is just the vehicle that you drive around in. There's many people who hold that view. And that, if you're holding a view like that, that the real you, the authentic you, is internal, psychological, and emotional, then when you come to this issue of transgender, well, the answer is obvious, isn't it? You should realign the body to fit with the real you on the inside. Okay, that's, that's the logic for many people as they approach this whole topic, uh, that our bodies are seen as plastic and malleable and changeable, and with the advances of science and medicine, there is an awful lot that you can do to reform your body, an awful lot that can be done. But I just want to just suggest, just, just for a moment, that there's some big flaws in that thinking, So take, for example, the issue of anorexia, anorexia, where there is a a disconnect between your internal sense of self. You perceive yourself to be fat. 
when your physical reality is that you're dangerously thin. Now, I hope we'd all agree that if you come to an issue like that, it would be profoundly unloving and unkind, in fact, dangerous to affirm someone or to treat them as being fat when the physical reality is that they're thin. You get, we, I, th- I think we agree with that, don't we? Which, the, the, the right thing to do in that scenario is to get them the psychological help they need to realign the mind to the body and not the other way around. And I want to suggest that I think that is a wiser, better way to approach this whole issue of transgender as well. But there's those who go further. There are those who say not only is gender sort of complicated and fluid and a bit of a spectrum, there's others who go even further and say that we should just get rid of all notions of gender altogether. And so I came across this quote by Judith Lorber, who's a professor of sociology and women's studies at the City University in New York. Uh, And she has written this, uh, I long for the day when gender distinctives have effectively disappeared, when we no longer ask, boy or girl, in order to start engendering an infant when the information is as irrelevant as the color of a child's eyes, Only then will men and women be socially interchangeable and really equal. When that happens, there will no longer be any need for gender at all. And so we should get rid of all notions of gender. It's just oppressing some and uh, allowing others to do the oppressing. Gender's bad. And so there's, there's quite a number, a rising number of, of parents in the LGBT community who are refusing and rejecting names like mummy and daddy, saying that they are imposing unhelpful gender binary categories in the minds of their children. Uh, and so someone like uh, a girl uh, called uh, Cory Dotty, uh, believes that doctors should not have the right, doctors should not have the right to assign gender at birth. In fact, children should be allowed to discover their own gender as they get older, as they get a little older. Um, and so her plan is to, to bring up her little child in as gender neutral a way as possible. In fact, even on her, even in the identity card, Uh, that this person has for their child, they are assigned as you, unspecified yet. Okay, so there's folks who are doing this, who are attempting to do this, bring children up um, as genderless. Uh, Again, a word of caution here, uh, having a chance to explore some of the latest sort of medical studies uh, last week. Uh, And doctors are being very honest Uh, And a recent study that's been done with uh, the the Medical Association of the United States uh, has said that actually of the small number, relatively small number of children who express gender dysphoria, over 80% of that group, by the time they reach adulthood, revert to identifying with their biological sex. And you see the danger then, the danger then, if you see some little child expressing a desire to be the other 
biological gender or the other physical, uh, physical sex to identify with, the, they see themselves as a member of the opposite sex, and you rush in with treatment, with hormone blockers and contrasex hormones, and ultimately sex realignment surgery, you could actually be confirming something harmful in the life of that child or young person. This is complicated. This is complicated, but there's plenty out there who are approaching this whole issue in a liberal way, which we might summarize as denying the male and female binary, resulting in creating a giant spectrum and prioritizing feelings over bodies. That's the liberal view. And that is increasingly common in the United States, in the UK, and in the West in general. But there's another approach. There's another approach which we might call the fundamentalist approach, and that is to accept gender design, but often it leads to dismissal. So there'll be some, there's lots of people, perhaps some even in this room, who would approach this issue with shock and dismissal. What, look, what's the problem here, really? There are people born with XX chromosomes. They are female. There are people born with XY chromosomes, they are males. We are fundamentally different. We're fundamentally different. We have different brains. We have different voices. We have different body shapes, different uh, reproductive systems, different chromosomes. We're different, fundamentally different. And you can try to paper over the cracks of the difference all you want, but you, your feelings can't change your physical, biological reality. And you can see that if, if someone who's transgender stops taking the, the hormone treatment drugs, their bodies will revert to their birth sex. Now, I want to suggest that there's a lot that is correct in that view. The Bible is very clear. As we read just a few moments ago, God made human beings in his own image, male and female, he created them. There's a lot that's right in that view, but I want to suggest, however, that that fundamentalist view is in danger. I have two concerns. The first concern often is the lack of compassion in a way that that view is often expressed. And I think there's probably some of us who've been guilty of this in the past. The Bible is equally clear. The Bible is equally clear. Where do they be those people who are loving and kind and compassionate, and especially compassionate to those who are in distress. And as we think about this whole area of gender dysphoria, dysphoria really means distress. Distress. There are those who are distressed by this issue under psychological and emotional strain who really genuinely feel that they are in the wrong body. And we need to approach this issue with great tenderness uh, and compassion. The second danger with the fundamentalist view, um, the unqualified design, they're male, female, that's it. Uh, the danger of that is that that view is often then tied to what you might call stereotypical gender roles. Not only did God make men and women, male and female, he also made particular, very particular roles for men and women. Uh, so men should be manly men, should be manly men. 
They should be sports-obsessed, emotionally <laughs> repressed. Um, they should be alpha-assertive men. That's what men should be like. Women, on the contrary, should be, should be passive and quiet, uh, flower-arranging, uh, needlework-loving, stay-at-home women, right? That's, that's what men are like. That's what women are like. And any deviation from that norm is a denial of God's good design. That's how the argument often runs in practice. And you can understand why there's lots and lots and lots of people out there say, well, if that's what masculinity is, if that's what femininity is, that, that's not me. That's not me. But again, I want to suggest that often those stereotypical notions of what it must mean to be a man and what it must mean to be a woman are often far more formed by 1950s chauvinism than by anything we read in the scriptures. And actually, we want to celebrate right diversity, the full sweep of God's full expression of the people of God, that there, we need our tender-hearted men, and we also need our strong, driven women. I think the fundamentalist view is, can be sometimes quite dangerous as well uh, as we wade into this debate. And so there's the two views. One is the liberal view, to deny the male-female binary, uh, to create a spectrum and see uh, and prioritize feelings over bodies. The other view, uh, the the fundamentalist view, is to affirm the male-female binary as God's good design, but then to insist that everyone fits into one box or another and conform to gender stereotypes. Well, as, you've, as I've said, I, I think there's a third way, a third more healthy, more compassionate, more truthful way to approach this whole issue. And that is uh, by listening to the wisdom of the most wise, compassionate man who's ever lived, uh, the words of the Lord Jesus himself. That leads us to our third view, to accept gender design and recognize disorder. Now, it would be helpful if you could turn back to Matthew 19. We'll we'll just be referring to that uh, as we go through here for a moment. Um, You should know, you should know, it's important that I put my cards on the table. Uh, There is no hidden bit in the Bible about transgender. Uh, You know, I haven't, it's not I found something brand new in the Bible about transgender. Uh, In the first century in Palestine, they had no clue about uh, hormone blockers, contrasex hormones, and sex realignment surgery. They did not know anything about that. This is a very different situation that Jesus has been put into a corner and forced to comment on. He's been challenged by the Pharisees in his day to speak into the controversial issue of their day. And the controversial issue of their day was the issue of divorce and remarriage. Uh, And the Pharisees, for reasons we don't have time to get into, are trying to get Jesus into trouble. They're trying to test him, but the word really means trap him. They're trying to get him into trouble by commenting on this. But as Jesus comments on this very different issue of divorce and remarriage, 
Jesus makes two points that are incredibly helpful for us if we are to navigate this whole difficult cultural discussion surrounding transgender. The first issue that I want you to see, the first point that Jesus makes is there in verse 4. Jesus says, haven't you read to Bible teachers? That is a bit cheeky. But uh, haven't you read, he replied, uh, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. Now Jesus is being very clear here. Jesus is affirming, number one, the first point Jesus makes as he approaches this whole topic of divorce and remarriage, he affirms the gender binary. Male, female. There is no spectrum. Okay, that's Jesus' view. He affirms uh, the male and female binary as part of God's good design for how he's built this world. Uh, Men uh, are fundamentally different for women, but we are complementary. We are made for each other to complement each other. We are suitable, a bit like the way different jigsaw pieces are suitable to fit together. We are suitable for each other. We are built for a relationship uh, with one another. That's part of God's good pre-fall design and blueprint. And that means we are not free. We are not free to mess around with gender or marriage for that matter, which we'll come to, to next time. So Jesus first affirms the the male-female binary. But secondly, Jesus goes on to say something quite surprising in verse 12. Listen out for the surprising word that he repeats. There are eunuchs who are born that way. There are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs um, by others. And there are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of God. Of God. Now, in the first century, a eunuch was someone who we might refer to as a castrated male. They are biologically male, but they do not have the anatomical kit now to go with that biological sex. Okay, you get the idea? Now, this really surprising phrase in there is the first one. There are those eunuchs who were born that way. Who were born that way. So Jesus, number one, is affirming the gender binary, but he is saying, look, we now also live in a fallen, broken world where there are exceptions to that general rule. There really are. Through no fault of their own, they are born that way. They suffer from either the psychological issue, condition of gender dysphoria, or they do not have the anatomical kit that should go with their gender. And I think this helps us to approach this whole issue uh, with graciousness and compassion. Notice that eunuchs, exceptions to that general rule of male-female, are welcome within the kingdom of God and in fact can be useful 
fruitful within the kingdom of God. Uh, And again, this is through no fault of their own. And that means I want to just say one thing to sort of three groups of people who are connected with this whole discussion. First, I want to just say something to those people who are struggling with intersex conditions. Intersex conditions. And again, I just want to say I recognize that behind the statistics, behind the headlines, are some really vulnerable people who are struggling to make sense of who they are and their place in the world. But I guess from in light of what Jesus says here about eunuchs being welcome and the possibility of fruitfulness within the kingdom of God, I want to say, if that is you here this morning, if that is you listening this morning, I want to say, God loves you. I love you. Tell me your story. Tell me your story. Help me understand what it's like to be you. Because I, I, I can't myself. I need you to help me. And when you do help me, then I can help you better. We can help you better. And my, my longing is that we become a community of people where those who are struggling with a condition like this can find support and care uh, and compassion. I want to say something to those who are struggling with gender dysphoria. Struggling with gender dysphoria. Again, my message to you, if that's your struggle this morning, if, you, if you're here and that's your struggle, or you're listening and that's your struggle, uh, again, my message to you is not the merits of gender binary. That's not what I want you to hear. What I want you to hear is let me introduce you to Jesus. Let me introduce you to Jesus. The man of unlimited compassion. The man with power to transform any life and make it beautiful and fruitful. I want to tell you about him. And I want us to be a community of people where we give such a radical welcome to anyone that comes through our doors that they will find no judgmentalism or self-righteousness here, that they would find enough space and a comfortable place to explore the claims of Jesus for themselves and to find the life-changing power that he has to offer. But there's a third group of people uh, that we also need to address. There are those who are struggling with these issues. This is their their reality, this is their sense of identity and health and well-being are tied up in these things and we need to approach those people with great compassion and kindness. But there's a, there's a whole other group of people out there, the activists, the, the journalists, the critics, who are all just trying to, tr- to change our society to deconstruct the notions of uh, the male-female binary. Uh, and to them, we need to say something a little different. Uh, there, there are some who we need to, to say some words that are a robust disagreement, a robust disagreement, and be willing to be brave and point out the logical inconsistencies uh, of their view. That's going to require courage because the whole of the climate uh, of our culture today is to uh, accept unquestioningly. Uh, we need to be courageous and brave. Two examples where I think illustrate 
the, the, the inconsistencies of, of the, 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 the view that we should realign the body to the mind and not the other way around. I don't know if you've ever come across this woman, Rachel Dolezal. Anyone ever heard of her? Richard Dolezal was um, from Spokane, Washington. She was the, the head of her chapter of the NAACP, which is uh, an American, African-American civil rights organization that has its roots right back with Martin Luther King. And she was the president uh, of that organization until it was revealed that all through she'd been lying about her racial background. And in fact, although she had quite tan skin and curly hair, she had no African ancestry at all. She was a white woman. And so there was public outcry from the African-American community saying, you don't know what it's like to be black because you are not black. Her reply was simply, but I've always identified as black. Do you see the problem? Do you see the problem? If a man can identify with a woman and should be accepted, why, why stop there? Why stop with gender? Why not continue with race? Why should it not be totally okay for a white woman to identify as a black woman or vice versa? Another example, uh, perhaps uh, even more clearly, is the issue of the transabled community. I hadn't even heard of the transabled community until last week uh, when I started reading about them. Tra- the transabled community are a group of people who are able bodied but identify as disabled. So they feel either that a leg or an arm doesn't belong to them. Uh, or they identify as blind when their eyes are working, or deaf when their ears are working. Now, my question is, what is the loving thing to do for someone like that? What is the loving thing to do for someone like that? Is the loving thing to hand them a, a disabled badge to stick in their car? Or is the loving thing, as difficult as it is, to try to get them the psychological help they need to realign their mind to fit with the, the fixed reality of their body. Is that not the loving thing to do? I think that's the same as the, that issue of anorexia. And I want to suggest is very possibly the right approach to come to with regard to gender dysphoria. I think Jesus gives us a third way, a way of both truth and yet great compassion. And as Christians, we should be the first to be able to empathize with those who struggle with a disconnect between what they feel and sense and what is the fixed reality. What I mean by that? As Christians, we often feel, we often feel like we are unworthy. We often feel like we are guilty and unloved. That's the way we often feel. But the reality is, because of the work And the word of Jesus, because of his work on the cross for us, the reality is we are forgiven. We are loved and accepted. We might not feel it all the time, but that is the reality. 
And because we sense that disconnect, every single one of us, it's the same thing. We should be the most compassionate, the most gracious to, who, to others who feel the disconnect between their sense of gender identity and their biological reality. And again, the hope for all of us, whether you're transgender, whether you're cisgender, uh, whatever you are, the hope for all of us is the great future final day when all those disconnects and all those distresses will one day be no more. When Jesus returns in Revelation 20, 21, we read that the new Jerusalem, heaven as a new Jerusalem, comes down to earth and they are one. Christ is united to his bride. And all sorrow and sighing and distress because of our disordered sexuality, all those things will be, be no more. That is our hope. That's the, the message of hope that we have for all who struggle uh, in this tran- with transgender and den- gender dysphoria right now. And in the meantime, therefore, we are to, as we look forward to that day, to look forward to the redemption of our bodies, as Paul puts it in Romans 8, we carry one another's burdens. We're there to love and care and support graciously, truthfully, one another. Here's the situation we find ourselves in. We live in a Genesis 3 world, a world that's broken, a world where there's much weeping. We recognize the Genesis 1 blueprint, can't get away from it, and we live our lives directed towards the Revelation 21 future. I think that, that's, that's, uh, I heard a preacher say that this week. I just think that's so helpful because that recognizes the real broken world we live in, God's design that you can't get away from, and the real hope that we have. And that's why I think it's really appropriate we come to communion now. Because later on in um, Matthew 26, when Jesus takes the Lord's Supper, he says these words, words that we often forget, right? Words that we've read lots and lots. Uh, but in, Genesis, or in um, Matthew 26, verse 29, he says these words, I tell you, I will not drink this fruit of the vine from now until the day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. This, Jesus spoke those words the night before he was about to go to the cross. He is saying there is hope. There is hope beyond the, the, the blackness and the death and the horror of the cross. There's hope. Hope for wholeness and harmony and real joy. And so as we take this meal, it is a sign and a symbol of our physical hope. It's physical. You take it into you. You sense it. And this is a, a little foretaste of the hope that we have, that one day our physical bodies will be restored and renewed and creation will be set free of all the dysphorias in the world. And so let's take this meal together with great, with great joy as we pass it from hand to hand. Uh, let me pray for us as we, as we do that.